Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're not going to have any beer this episode. Correction. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen, and I'm starting with a beer. This is uh, from Finback, unsurprising, and it is called High Low, because uh, this family and the characters in it deal with some highs specifically some chemically induced highs and some lows some chemically induced lows and this is a, a double dry hopped double ipa eight and a half percent alcohol and all the hops and we're gonna put them in one of them is idaho seven isn't that in the midwest <laughs> pretty much <laughs> this is delicious so i'm gonna open my beer now even though it's for the middle of the book but i don't want to wait three hours for us to get <laughs> to me you better get to it so don't i'm worry. not gonna explain it now so <laughs> Nope. <laughs> uh, this book was suggested to us by a patron, so you're welcome, Brent. You made us suggested to us for years. Yeah. Really harassed us to do it. Just Several people have really? bothered us about it. Yeah, many ones of people have wanted us to read this book, and it is a you know book nerd it is a book. Plural so number of people, and not just my mom. So it came out in 2001, and a week later, 9/11 happened. It's true. It came Draw out your September own 1st, 2001, and then Bin Laden was like, enough. <laughs> West must be stopped <laughs> They're the decadent 700 page Fucking self-aggrandizing novels Okay uh, It is uh, John of the Friends the most famous book And the only one To get someone Uninvited from Oprah for I think uh, And it, it Everything happens Any Anything you could imagine Happens in this book It is a Massive Sprawling Ridiculous book But it focuses on A family An older couple An elderly, you know, elderly Retired couple Alfred and Enid Lambert, and their three kids, Gary, Chip, and Dip, a.k.a. Denise, and their adult lives as they go kind of back and forth in time in the present day as shit happens. And it's and, and, and then he comments on everything he ever saw in his life throughout the book, too. And then it ends eventually, and you can tell us what you thought. I hope you're happy, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, do a better job. So the <laughs> family, they're from, they, 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 they lived in the Midwest. It literally does not specifically say what, where, what state or city it's or Jude. small town they happen to actually be yeah, in. Well, Saint it says St. Jude. It doesn't say what state that's a city. Take a sad song and... I know. Maybe it's a fake city, I guess. I was, I was going to make uh-huh. that exact joke. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> you could do it. You could just uh, make hate so Jude jokes anyway, for seven and a half minutes. At St. Jude... <laughs> We say, no, 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 Is that Master P? Uh, yes. Then we can make him say, uh. Nate doesn't know. It's black people things. Okay, go on. He does not know. <laughs> so, um, the book goes back and forth in, in, in time, like a lot, like telling the stories of them sort of in the present day, the present day being the week before 9-11 and then <laughs> the past. <laughs> Boston's beautiful this time of year. I'm going to fly the kids, out from there. The kids growing up, you know, the kids growing up in, in St. Jude in whatever Midwestern state they happen to be in, probably Illinois or Missouri, one of those two. And then, so it, it, there's a lot of that. So each of the family has, uh, essentially, they're, they're feeling quite unfulfilled. They're quite conflicted and unfulfilled. And everyone has like, uh, starts the book at a really, real low point especially Chip, but really all of them. No, it's really all of them are at a super low point. And they're and all kind they, of shitty people. Yeah. Well, they're dysfunctional. 
Yeah. Everyone, I mean, they're all, like, they're all dysfunctional. It's a very, like, Gen X view of of life. It's like, these parents <laughs> who just tried their best just fucked us all up. Thanks. So the father, Alfred, is... Was in the Batcave. Very <laughs> stubborn. He's also... Uh, and was a very, like, emotionally detached figure. Well, he said he lived in the Midwest, he, and he's from the greatest generation, so goes the emotions saying. were for communists. <laughs> um, and he spent most of his time, and most of his working life, not at home, but working... For the railroad. Partially. All the live yeah, long for, day. <laughs> <laughs> partly because, you know, he was the breadwinner, and also because he was escaping his unhappy home life, so... His kids have a very uh, conflicted view of him. So, and then his wife, Enid, feels also like very just domineered by him and never gets her own way. So, all she can do is just nag a lot and annoy everyone. But she also does a lot of just death. like typical older mom things that aren't even intentionally nagging and annoying, or not intentionally annoying or nagging. They just are. She just can't help it, you know. <laughs> Just asking, like, you know, what, what for sibling, what the mom may think is passing along the latest news about a sibling feels like comparing and belittling to every kid as all they hear yeah. about is how much better the other kid is doing. Even though the mom, uh, like launders those stories or willfully misinterprets them so they could sound better, even when she's talking to her, her friends or her kids. Yeah, right in the beginning. The first of the children you see is, uh, you hear a lot about is, or you find out a lot about, because it's from his perspective, is Chip, who is a writer for the Walden Street Journal, but his mom thinks he said the Wall Street Journal, and that's what she tells all her friends. He's never corrected her. He, uh, the Walden Street Journal apparently was just a, like, unknown literary magazine, it was something like, a like that. Xeroxed bunch of crap. It was a zine. Yeah. That he wasn't even, and because and he wasn't paid for. I think he, he, he worked for free for it. He like contributed something to it or something like that. And the reason why he's doing that is because he got fired from his university position because he has a PhD in, what is it, literature? It's like literary theory. Literary theory. That, that was what he loved so much, literary theory. But he got fired because he had an affair with a student. Was it liter- wasn't it, uh, he was like a cultural critiquer. Well, that was the class he taught. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't really, I mean, you could have been that too. Yeah. But that was the one class they talk about, the bullshit media criticism class he taught. Mm. Where So he teaches a class where all it is is him gradually inculcating the students to think like him. <laughs> Just look at this commercial. Don't you think it's belittling to women the way they do this and all the kids are supposed to be like yes it is yes professor i don't like how they're trying to sell that toyota (laughs) and then and that all the kids are like just indifferent because they're college students like dude this is a bullshit class they made me take except for the one girl who's super into it and super opinionated and then he fucks her (laughs) but because something was wrong with his life didn't he get like divorced or he broke up with a girlfriend or something like he was missing he something. He had like a long-term shitty girlfriend and then he started becoming kind of a horn dog. And he was like the cool hip professor that was like fast track to her tenure. Uh but then the guy who was his like champion had a stroke and suddenly he's banging students and not anyone's favorite and losing out the tenureship thing to the 
of course, you know, diverse young lesbian woman professor who taught the same class, but different. And who nobody liked. Yes. But to be fair, I'm sure her class was fucking awful. I mean, his class sounds, sounds terrible, like, but I'm sure hers... Like all of them were awful. Yes, but I'm sure hers, <laughs> as, the, as the, the radical lesbian feminist professor teaching it, it must have taken on another level. Like, see how the spaghetti noodles are just a limp penis? And the women are supposed to handle it. It's like, what? It's for fucking ragu. Like, I'm sure it was, everything was outrageous. And that's what you get. And at one point, the student calls him out on it. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, she says, you just want us to, to like not like the things you don't like. And then he, and the, in the moment, he's like, no. no. And then afterward, he's like, Oh, I fuck. have. I, that is what I'm I doing. I am a very informed misanthrope. My opinions come from years of bitching about things. I have earned this. He, you know, but then he realized, oh yeah, I'm a fucking total phony. Which he was in everything. And you then find out, like his fucking all of his like a lot of his academic or his um like academic pursuits and oh you were always so good at science or whatever the parents were saying it was all bullshit that he like plagiarized or. You know, he was, he, was, he was a fucking bullshitter. He was good at faking it. Not making it, turns out. No. Well, you have to fake it until you make it. Mm, you just never a, made it. Never got to that final yeah. step. It's a marathon, yeah. not a sprint. a little bit longer. Yeah. Just like this book. Tantric faking uh, it. <laughs> so the very, like, really, pretty much the very first scene is Alfred and Enid coming to New York City to visit Chip just for one afternoon, though, because they're about to get on a cruise but he's going to have them like dinner at his apartment or lunch at their at his apartment before they go to the pier and get on the cruise. But at the same time, as soon as he gets there, he's got this whole thing about his like screenplay that he just finished. And it's described as the most pretentious thing ever. And is really just a story set up just to like vindicate him. It is really just to like make the, the uh, other professors, the ones that like fired him feel bad or something like that. And it's incredibly pretentious. And that's not even the first incredibly pretentious thing in this book. <laughs> but his girlfriend, who like is the assistant or the secretary or something like that for a person... Yeah, she's the secretary. ...who, ha- who, who the- can get a film made, is like, this, fuck it, this is fucking terrible. Like, why are you always talking about like the co-ed's breasts? Like, relentlessly. And he's like, well, it's really to establish the character. And doing, like, dude, like, you're a fucking pervert. And there's a part in later I highlighted this. Like, it's a farcical level of pretentiousness. But there, and also the, the play starts with a six-page monologue about the phallus in Tudor drama. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, don't you see it sets up all the themes? And they're like, no one wants to see that movie. That's obnoxious. <laughs> But there's a list of all the times the word breast appears in his script. And they're, I mean, they, they're very horny passages. They're just these one little liners or, you know, fragments. Like, be stung lips, high round breasts, narrow hips. <laughs> it's just like a line. It's like, are he's describing a character, maybe? And then, like, it's in the script, like, parentheses, eyeing her breasts. <laughs> like, the character, <laughs> that's the direction <laughs> he's giving. That appears, like, six times. And then another one is eyeing and eyeing her perfect adolescent breasts. <laughs> Ooh, that's never a sentence you want to write. The repressive bra to unfetter her subversive breasts. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, uh, this one is like, what is 
phallically jutting nipple of her sweat-drenched breast. <laughs> She's got dick nipples. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, reading this book and, and after reading, you know, fucking 350 books with you guys, you know, I knew this was one of those books I had to work at and be thinking about it the whole time. And like, oh, he's doing something here. And one thing that this book reminded me a lot was Crying A Lot 49, in that there's all these details and names and things. And like, are they on purpose? Are they just random? Is it like, are we supposed to read anything into it? But it also reminded me of a book we haven't done that I've threatened to punish you with, uh, Infinite Jest, which this was basically Infinite Jest, just half of it. It was, it was very finite jest. <laughs> and that and that David Foster Wallace's style has that kind of thing too of I'm just going to dump a whole list of things and there are like if you're reading it you know if you're skimming it you won't see it but you read carefully there's like little jokey things in there like dick nipples poking out of her tits like what the fuck is okay so there are a lot of things and I'll get back to that at the end of the book where it felt like he was channeling David Foster Wallace who was his peer and they apparently had an intense dislike of each other in real life but that that the dick nipples must have been mentioned. Must be mentioned. I mean, yeah. Can we make a yes. correction and put the intro joke about that? Like, and beer makes our dick nipples hard or something. Can, <laughs> Nate, you want to? Would you feel comfortable saying? That? I'll pass. Uh, so this is where. So this character is set up to be an incredibly pretentious writer, which. So clearly, Jonathan Franzen knows what an incredibly pretentious writer is. He's from the Midwest, and he's an incredibly pretentious writer. You write what you so, know. So this is why this is why it's kind of amazing that when Oprah wanted to put has have his book as has the corrections as one of her you know Oprah book club books that he turned it down. He didn't turn it down. Because he, he, he was like, no, your books are shitty. I don't want my book on your stupid book club list. Something like that, right? He's, the comment was something like... It was like, a little less than that. It was pretty... Uh, I'll find... I just actually was reading the quote because it was like, what a fucking douche. Okay, he, was, he said he was ambivalent about it being chosen. Sorry, anyone who says they're ambivalent in a public statement is an asshole, by the way. Like, <laughs> it's pretentious. A, yeah. I'm ambivalent about nachos. Fuck you. So he <laughs> no was ambivalent about nachos. Um, you're right. Well, no God-fearing American is. But he, <laughs> he's, he basically was like, she had a whole bunch of, quote, schmaltzy, one-dimensional books on the, po- on the list before. And so he was like, I don't really want to be part of that list, but I don't care. You know, but it, was, it just came off as super snooty. And then Oprah uninvited him to some sort of dinner that they were supposed to have. And then he kind of, then he like apologized profusely and, and then he put a, uh, whatchamacallit, like the next book he came out, he like sent her a copy with a handwritten note and then that was an Oprah Book Club book. <laughs> like he was allowed back. But that was like and, 10 years later. Yeah, it took him a while to write that next book. Here's, here's the quote. Oprah had, quote, Picked some good books, but she's picked enough schmaltzy, one-dimensional ones that I cringe myself, even though I think she's really smart and she's really fighting the good fight. He added that his novel was, quote, a hard book for that audience. That's fucking obnoxious. Yeah. It is obnoxious. He's not entirely wrong. 
Yeah, but just like nod and accept that a whole bunch yeah. of Midwestern moms are now yeah, going to buy your book. Don't You're say it out loud. Sell a ton more books. <laughs> also, not that I am looking to defend Oprah exactly, but what if Oprah was looking to branch out from not just the small she schmaltzy one dimensional books? Does she actually? And pick then them? he is like, no, that this you, you can't use mine. This guy who up until that point was really just a uber book nerds guy. Like, he didn't have anything that was nearly that big high profile. Although, this this controversy... Well, he also won the National Book Award for this book. So, this controversy kind of made this a well-known book. So, it actually kind of worked out for him either way. Nothing to lose. You know, I actually own a, a physical copy of The Corrections. And I bought it. <laughs> so, I went to the... I don't remember the name of the bookstore, Jimmy, but remember when we went to Proletariat Bar in like St. Mark's Place? Yeah. Yeah. There's a used bookstore across the street from there. Oh, I've been there. Right around the corner. Hmm. Is that so, still there? I think it was Proletariat. Or maybe it's another like... The KGB bar? It was like a drunk, drunken <laughs> night going there. So Proletariat was the place we, we went a bunch of times. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. It's like the size of a closet and it'll have like yeah. 11 crazy beers. I think it's right around there. I went into it and I'm um, looking in like the used books are priced... Like, you're in Manhattan, so it's like, here's a used book. It's $27. I'm like, wow, that's fucking ripoff. It was used by George Murison. This guy on the train jerked off on it. It's been used. Ooh. But then you went into a bin or a, clo- a shelf was $1 books, and they had the corrections in hardcover. I was like, sweet, I'll get it. And then I was walking out, to the walking towards the checkout, and I saw the corrections on a non-$1 shelf. Because the one dollar one was the one with the Oprah Book Club sticker on it, <laughs> <laughs> so the book nerds are like, nobody wants that edition. <laughs> so my my copy of it is the Oprah's Book Club copy, which I then didn't read it. Read it on the fucking Kindle anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because carrying it around is fucking annoying. It's huge. also like just being seen reading that on the train. You just look like an asshole. Like, I think most people, if you read it now. Regular people are not going to know what the fuck it even is. No, when I read Infinite Jest, I read the physical book, and I would be reading on the train. I must have looked and like standing, like leaning on people. (laughs) Like a fucking, I was like really trying hard. Fucking Unabomber. Like whatever the opposite of hot guys reading, (laughs) whatever that is. Like weird, thirsty dudes pretending. (laughs) That's where I am. So yeah, he's a pretentious writer, Chip, and he's deep in the shit. AKA salsa. His his girlfriend dumps him like right there, and he like goes right right as his parents are getting getting in, or he's bringing his parents from the airport. From he's LaGuardia. trying to introduce them. To yeah, trying to. Him to she's like, no, I'm sorry, I have to leave, and she's like, oh no, she's dumping you. And that's, he notices it. She has her shit in a bag there. She's like, it's her hair dryer and her toothbrush. Oh she's yeah, and she she interestingly opens she because he gets there with his parents, and she's like, oh, you're early. That's what she says, <laughs> and then so she fucking leaves. And he tries to chase after her. He's like, no, guys, just I'll be right back. And then he's not right back because. And this unfolds over hundreds of pages, but he has like an existential crisis. And then he's like, I'm going to go. And then he goes to a grocery store and he buys a... No, he doesn't buy. He, but he, he, this thing. He, he goes up to the, the, the counter, like the, you know, the fine deli meats counter. And he's like, oh, that fish, I'll take that for 79 cents. And it's like, no, 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 it's... It's like 79, 79 cents a gram. Cents. <laughs> yeah, he ends up being like this hunk of salmon is like going to be like 80 bucks. And he's completely broke, flat broke. He hasn't had a job in a long time. And so he manages to like, he tries to steal it by, you know, 
by putting it down the front of his pants and uh but then it just but then he runs into the lady director producer or whatever it is that he, that uh has her his husband has her, script, hus- her, her husband, husband who always and she's him. there too and so he's instead of being able to make a quick getaway with like a you know one dollar bag of pasta and then take out the fish from his pants the fish is just like leaking like fish fat into his pants and he's like oh god <laughs> um but and she's like oh Yes, I read your script. Uh, why don't you come up to the office? He's like, I want to go up to the I, c- I can fix it right now. I can take out all those breast references real fast. He's like, she's like, oh, okay, fine. So she, he goes up, and she's clearly like, Julia broke up with you. No, it's for good. You, you, you can't get her back. But look who I have here is Julia's husband, because she was married this whole time. His girlfriend, and, yeah. Yeah. His girlfriend to the, was actually married um, the to another man from Lithuania. Turns out, I, when when it first said that, I was like, uh, I was like, oh, this is kind of funny that he's you know dating a, a married woman. But no, she's married to the uh, deputy prime minister to Lithuania, and she met him when he was at the when he was at the Lithuania's UN delegation. Uh, and then they got married, but then she decided not to go back with him to Lithuania because she's like, oh, God, why would I go to Lithuania? And so was kind of like dumped him that way. Uh, this this was actually, house. I actually thought him in Lithuania was kind of the most entertaining part. But um, so it, uh, Lithuania it, in the 90s, right? So this is, this is like, it takes place, you know, in the year 2000. This is about a, a year after, I mean, t- in the decade after you know, the end of the Soviet Union and all of these Those former countries Soviet countries hot and mess. turning and trying to become, you know, a capitalist democracies. And it went so badly, so badly for, uh, I mean, especially for Russia, but it went so badly for most, I think most countries. I don't know specifically anything about Lithuania because who would, but... It sounds like the collapse of the Soviet... I just, I just want to drink this. And <laughs> you can use it anytime. It sounds like the collapse of the Soviet Union was pretty impactful. <laughs> this is called impactful. And it's from Return, and it's a hazy IPA. And we I'm are, by the way, 6% through the book. <laughs> yeah, fuck me. It's going to be longer than the War and Peace episode. It's, it's good. Tasting notes. Huge flavor and aroma impact. I mean, I wouldn't say it's huge, but it's, it's, it's good. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's huge either, but if someone told me it was huge, I would be like, yeah, it is. Don't get I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> you should get your prescription checked. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy is like, he's in. He's from Lithuania, and he's like, you got to help me. I've got, a, I got Com- an idea. Comrade. <laughs> Former comrade. What, I don't know. Any, no one knows any Lithuanian. You could just talk to <laughs> Borat. Not and be like, yeah, that's probably it. Oh, yeah. So the guy who is actually Julia's husband is like, I need someone to help me with my website so I can defraud American investors. But you got to come back with me to Vilnius. Vilnius. And, and, and the the lady director, producer, whatever is like, you should you should hire him because she knows he's completely broke. This is all happening by the, the way money. while the lady producer's daughter is drawing on in his script. And while his parents With are crayons. waiting for him to come back for lunch. Yeah, so he, but he left, the, she gave the script to her kid to play with. <laughs> and he's like, I'm pretty sure that's the fucking nice ivory, you know, cardstock I had that printed on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, again, like the sort of just ridiculous detail. You're like, I know I'm reading a book by a pretentious Gen X writer. But, and so he is, so the, the Lithuanian dude is going to offer Chip an enormous amount of money to help him make this 
website because that was new in 1999. So he could write the copy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Write the copy uh, for this new website that is going to get American investors to invest in Lithuania. Cause it's something like, Oh, my Lithuania is going to be a corporation, not a country. And it's like, you're going to invest in the corporation of Lithuania, which is like, dude, that's what bonds are for. But anyway, <laughs> so, and but he, like he does it. And so chip, he's offered thousands of dollars, like and thousands, like, owes to, just, like 20 grand to his sister or some huge. Yeah, Cause like he's that. been borrowing his money from his sister for now, like months. After he got fired. So anyway, he gets on the plane. He doesn't even see his parents off. He, he you know, he doesn't return for lunch. He doesn't see his parents go get to the, uh, like, tour to the cruise, to the cruise. And then he, like, flies to Lithuania with, oh, fucking, what was that guy's name? Gitanus. 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 Probably pronounced The former like, deputy prime minister of Lithuania. <laughs> <laughs> Who they apparently look a lot alike. He's like, ah, oh, Julia had a type. But he, uh... When they get on the train on the plane, there the guy pulls out a like a CD-ROM because he also makes him wait. Gitanus makes a. How do they say that? They, is that how they said it in the in the audiobook? Nate? Yes, it is. Okay, uh, he makes Chip wait, and he goes to get something out of Julia's apartment that the guy has been paying for, and he comes back at a CD-ROM. And he finds out that he has had a like secret camera in Julia's bedroom, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm going to watch the footage," and he's like, "I don't think you should." I don't, think you, I don't think you should watch <laughs> Chip is like no don't no. don't watch that no and like, that's not necessary like, watch. and he's like I had a hidden in fire alarm he's like I've he's like I remember seeing that alarm many times while I banged her in that bed <laughs> you shouldn't look at it he's like why just think about it maybe think about it and he goes you fuck <laughs> it's a pretty it's a very funny scene like you could imagine that is. playing out and with with you know this movie has um, this book rather has been optioned into a movie since it came out and has never materialized that, that you could, could imagine make a better mini series this is the kind of thing that would be good as like a, a 10 episode or 8 episode netflix thing yeah yeah not a 9 hour movie oh god no that would kill my the erections if i had to watch that terrible <laughs> 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 so, so then okay. he disappears from the book for the next fucking 400 pages like a huge amount and then you find out a lot and then in this next section you find a lot more about Alfred and Enid when they were young or when they met and first married and why that like got married but and then everyone is so unhappy and then you find out about the other kids and first you find a lot about Gary who is at least on paper the most successful one of the children most conventionally successful, too. Like he has yeah, done the American dream kind of thing. You know, house in the suburbs, three kids, banking, you know, white-collar job. Man, yeah, he's an investment manager for a bank, and he literally found the, found the way, to the one that was, that was the least work. He found, like, the job where he could be, a, you know, a banker. That was the least work because he just doesn't want to work that hard but still make a lot of money. So we found but it. But also it is, his wife is incredibly rich. She yeah, she's from she inherited a lot of money and also inherited a lot of being a dickishness. Yes. She sucks. And she I mean, Gary sucks he, too, to be but she is really terrible. And she like went to law school, but she doesn't actually practice law. She anymore. does pro bono work, work a yep. few days a week. And later when she's like which which comes back in when when she's like refusing to go for to Christmas in St. Jude and she's like 
we had a we had an agreement. You're you're breaching our contract. And she like literally is like, we had an agreement. We had a contract. You are not going to break that. She thinks like a lawyer, you know, even in her like personal life. No, and she like totally sucks. And she's the like every stereotype on purpose of, you know, that super rich white mom who like is, uh, uh, you know, so upset when, you know, the mother-in-law, her mother-in-law Enid is trying to serve her kids like fatty food and stuff like that. And she was trying to like dump oh, it down the drain. From, like the and, Midwest, they're eating like, you know, 19 flavors of Jello salad or whatever they fucking, you know. Just, just and everything it's a bunch of hot dogs cut up inside of a Jello mold. What's wrong with that? I mean, it's nothing wrong with that, but it's when you add Vienna sausages and their juice that it gets to be a bit much. For That's me. how you make the Jello. No, oh. well, Enid would never do that because <laughs> juice sounds too much like a certain group of people. But she, she, she's also just thinks she's at a point where uh, anything the mom says, she views it through the most pessimistic, critical lens, even when it's obvious that the mom is not wrong. Like, <laughs> like when it comes up that the mom, like I was like she, the mom gave her something, you know, some like weird gift, like a like a bathrobe, I think it was. It was a bathrobe, and yeah. e- and the and the wife who we don't even do we name her? I forget what her name is, Caroline. And Caroline threw it in the trash before they left the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was a real dick move. And of course, the mom found it was incredibly offended. And Caroline's like, "What's her problem?" And then the mom, there's another. She keeps saying how the mom was Enid was going crazy about this tchotchke that just fell, and he's like, "No, mom, no." Gary says, it was like a $130 Austrian Christmas ornament that our son drove nails into. <laughs> she quits. What is her problem? I think she just reached that level of the comical Pettiness. mother and daughter-in-law relationship. This is the part where, even though I did like the book a lot and thought it was very well written and, and it did like it, except I was, I, I kind of didn't want to read it because it was like, oh, these people, oh my God, they're all like... They're all trash. So terrible and just so frustrating. That, and so... That, I think that's his point. That's what people are like. Yeah, but I read but, to but escape. We... <laughs> 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 this is like, it's almost a little bit... I mean, it, it is, you know, a, the book is about a very dysfunctional family, which, of course, the message is like, well, that's every family, but I'm, I'm sure. But anyway, so it's just like in Gary's like, He's clearly depressed and won't admit it and, like, does a bunch of stupid things. Uh, one way, he goes into his, um, it, it, the, his wife is diagnosing him with, no, something. It, it's the, the condition where you cannot feel joy from, Anadonia. like, things that... Anhedonia. Anhedonia. There That's, you go. Isn't that, isn't that Scotland? Yeah. So, and he, like, doesn't get that, and, and, and he's, like, and, and that's a, his that's wife a is, Roman like, history this joke. means you're depressed, this means you're. This means you're depressed. He's like, I am not depressed, even and, though he's like drinking he's heavily, day drinking, and, <laughs> and his hiding horrible. it. Yeah, getting shit. And his son, his son, chores. you know, as like a young teenager or like twelve or thirteen, is like, I'm going to get into surveillance. I want to put a, sur- a security camera in the. I want to put a camera in the kitchen. He's like, no, because he knows that's where the alcohol cabinet is. So it's like, no, you can't. Also, if your kid is like, I want to get into surveillance, you got to hit that kid. Like, you got to stop that right in his tracks. No, son. (laughs) You just drill a small hole behind a picture frame and you shift it over (laughs) when they go into the bathroom. (laughs) No, you put the holes in the painting's eyes so then no one will know. 
Right, they won't be able to hey, I think those eyes are definitely not jerking off right now. <laughs> <laughs> but he explains that, you know, because the wife, the wife also is one of those people who has every self-help fad book, just, and she's, and he, and he keeps like mentioning them, and I'm sure they're fake titles. I don't remember they're all not necessarily. Well, yeah, but I, there might be, yeah. But, you know, just, like, but he puts like, you know, the Happiness Curse by Dr. Judith Palmer, PhD. Or like he does, like puts like a whole title in front of this. Yeah. And the wife is just consuming that. And so she's just looking at everybody and diagnosing them as a way to escape her own. Just they're not malaise. living your truth. But she's indulging her kids because she's this, you know, wealthy suburban, you know, mom. And she's like, this is how the son shows his creativity. And they're like, no, it's like he just realizes if he calls it a hobby. We'll let him buy shit. <laughs> like that's why he has. I forget the other hobbies. They're like scuba gear or he like, had like thousands of dollars playing, in computer parts. Well, one was playing the trumpet, and it's like, yeah. And I went into his room with uh, complete box sets of. Oh yeah, like, did, like Ch- Chet Baker things. and you know, mm-hmm. Dizzy Gillespie or whatever. We'll do. And then so they just do the thing. They buy everything for the kid. Like they want to hear. You could be the next. You know, whoever you'll be. You, we'll give you every. Um, you know, this is a very like suburban parent thing. Like, oh, you're into lacrosse. You're like, okay. We're gonna buy you the best lacrosse gear, and you're gonna be going to lacrosse camp, and we want you to be so successful at it. And this kid has realized it's just a way he could manipulate them to get like random things that he wants until he loses he loses interest a minute later. But the mom is clearly conspiring with the children against Gary. And Gary is also at the same time in complete denial of his alcohol problem and real depression. He decides to both like grill something while drunk, and that doesn't go well. I forget why. It's mixed grill. Mixed, he, yeah, he's, exactly. He's, he's, he's not paying grill. attention. And it lights on fire. It ex- it lights on fire, and then he decides he's gonna he's gonna trim all the hedges instead. Yeah, while he's well, while drunk, and yeah. it, uh, and so then he cuts himself badly, and then he tries to go clean it up, and that goes badly. And the kids are like, "Are you depressed?" He's like, "No." And he like won't admit it. Your mother's depressed, and he's like basically <laughs> at war with his wife for a long time. And it's like, oh, anyway, passage was frustrating to read, though filled with tension, and I was definitely interested. But and, and just oh, wait, the other thing that's happening is Enid, you know, uh, Gary's mom, is wants everybody to come back to St. Jude for one last Christmas because they've done Christmas in Philadelphia with Gary for many years. The now, last like eight 10 years. years, Caroline's counting. And, and the year say, I am never going back there. Because like going again. to the Midwest at Christmas, they got like snowed in and their flight was delayed. And she's like, fuck that. And it's also, you know, she, there, she, it's a fair point on her part. Like there are five of them and all going to this rather small Midwestern house is like, why doesn't everyone come here to our massive estate? Right, but also ignoring the fact that like, it's the elderly couple and the man, yeah. the father has Parkinson's and is deteriorating pretty and rapidly. she's saying one, she, she doesn't she's necessarily one always last say one last Christmas, but she means one last Christmas because like he's going to die. He's going to die or just not be present anymore. Yeah, so you should do make it this one. It's the last chance we get. And Gary's, you know, trying to push back on his wife and she then just starts feigning injury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like this long scene where she's like, I hurt my back. I can't even. Why are you asking me? And he's like, I just watched you play soccer for two hours. You, you're, and well, you he were was win- saying that she hurt her back playing soccer. And she says she hurt her back because she was 
running to catch the phone because his mother would call them, let it ring once, and then hang up, and then do that over and over again, so she would call them back so she wouldn't have to pay for long-distance calls. You know what? That is a fucking old person thing from back in the day. I remember my grandma would, <laughs> like, did not, like, we, we, she lives in town. I don't know what she would do, but she would... <laughs> She like had tried to my dad had tried to work out a thing. He would like screen every call. <laughs> just like <laughs> I'm not picking that up. And you know, and she'd be like, Hello, uh, Billy. Uh I don't know if you're there. It's like she didn't understand that the answering machine was not him standing next to it. Like we could literally not be in the house. She didn't get that. She's born in the twenties. Like, you know, shit. Yeah. And he then said, Grandma uh, Ma, here's what you do. You call once, then wait like thirty seconds, then call back and I'll know, oh, it was the one ring thing. That's 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 her, I'll pick up. But she forgot that second half, so she would just call and do one ring and then stop and be like, all right, he's going to call back now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, all people didn't understand the phones in the 90s. <laughs> they were like, she, she, my grandma died in 2001. Like, she, this book killed her, actually. Holy shit. <laughs> um, they just didn't it understand. Fell on her. It's very much what, it's very accurate, you know. Even though Franzen's a, he's 63 now. I mean, and we're, you know. Oh, it's surprisingly it's younger than I thought it would be, I guess. But I guess Gen X, okay, yeah. I mean, he's right at the top of Gen X. Yeah. Well, actually, wait, is he Gen X? I mean, no. If he's 63, he's not even Gen X. It's a boomer. He's a boomer. He's got all the... Because Gen X cut off in like 1965. I mean, this is all very arbitrary. He's yes. on the cusp. But, well, the baby boom is like one of the easy ones because like when did the birth rate drop off? Like, right, well, that's, yeah, so if it's 1945, then you know which one it is. But, you know, there's a good reason for that. Anyway, uh, I'm just going to try to drink this beer here. Um, Enid keeps asking and and Carrie's like, I don't know. I have to talk to my wife. He keeps dodging the question. He's like, why do you need to know? And she's like, oh, out of curiosity. She, she doesn't say that, but she oh. thinks it. Damn it, I have that in the fridge. <laughs> that is not what quick, I have, but I do Quick, think get it. Get it now. This Tempting. is a uh, double IPA. What a surprise. From Finback. It's dry up with experimental hop 17,701. Sounds like they were curious. Yeah, it's, I'm just, I don't know if I have a lot of catching up to do. I'm 17,000 behind. <laughs> and uh, this is very good. That's delicious. Oh, tastes a lot better than... Awkward Christmas with your family, but you know what tastes even better than that? Supporting your favorite or just you know mediocrely favorite podcast. Top twenty, top, easily. We can be top twenty. That's fine. Top twenty. You can have your Joe Rogans and your goddamn NPR liberals. Save some room for us. <laughs> if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to N. I was about to say NPR. <laughs> the Robert Wood Johnson <laughs> Foundation. Uh, you can head over to. Uh, <laughs> Send you a tote tote bag. bag. Oh, jinx. (laughs) (laughs) And a free subscription to The New Yorker, in case you weren't pretentious enough. Uh, Head over to patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club, where you could uh, support the podcast, get exclusive content, early access, join us for our live episodes, get shouted out. We'll send you stuff when I remember to do it. Uh, And if I haven't, (laughs) then there are some corrections coming for that. And, uh, And, you know, just have a good feeling that you're a patron of the arts. (laughs) <laughs> is that what we do? Uh, that's art. Is this art? I'm sorry. Patron. If we suffer for it, that makes it art, right? All right. Patron of the sharts. <laughs> well, that is objective. That true. should be the tote bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a proud patron of the sharts. <laughs> I think I think we got something there. Oh. 
<laughs> we also said like uh, sell like me undies with that on it. Nate, can you like can we like look up like the World Wildlife Foundation or whatever and have like a panda explosively diarrheaing? That's our logo. <laughs> Patron of the Sharts. No. I think it's allowed. I'll look that's, into it. You'll look into that's, it. That's fair use. That's fair use. Yeah. I think it's, you can't tell me pandas don't shart. <laughs> they eat nothing but leaves. <laughs> so if you want to... And bamboo. <laughs> what uh, is bamboo? Bam, but just leaves. Bam. Poo. Is uh, what's going to happen. <laughs> so if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com. You could also help us out by leaving a review wherever you are listening. Uh, and write one, you know, if you're on like, I, uh, inst- what the fuck is it called? Apple? Apple Podcasts? Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> you can follow us there too, but you can go to the Apple Podcasts. You can write a little thing. It's very nice. We got a nice one the other day. It made me very happy. And my feelings are what matter most. The scars from all the bad ones have almost faded. I have. Or go on a, go on a Reddit, and when you find people being mean to us, you can be like, hey, fuck you, buddy. You fucking, they're nice know. young men, <laughs> except for Nate's old, but you know. Support the podcast. Or you didn't listen this far, or you already do, and thank you. Back to this book. We were 11% through it. Meanwhile, Gary has also found out that uh, his dad got a letter from his old choo-choo company. And uh, the choo-choo company is like, we want to buy out the rights to your patent from this thing you designed back in the day in your basement, because he was like a... It's not from the choo-choo company. It's from a pharmaceutical it's from the, company. It's a company that bought out... I don't even think oh, no, it no, was. Yeah, no, I think it was, it's just it was a, a pharma, random... the pharma company. Was one, yeah, the, the pharma company did it while he was working for the railroad company. Yeah. The pharma company wants to buy out his fucking patent for something. He, he didn't design it at work. He designed it because when he got home from work, he went down to his basement to do science because he hated his family. But he was using uh, and uh, materials taken from the labs yes. at the railroad run by a guy who was like, I forget. It, sure. He, he was like a Swiss, a Swiss guy who was incredibly bored. Because all they had him do was just continuing, you know, stress tests on steel. <laughs> You're yeah. like, I am a chemist. It's pretty pretty strong. And so he's so, like, you don't uh, take this shit. I don't care. So they send him a letter saying, hey, we'll give you $5,000 for this patent. And he's like, yeah, take it. Good. But Gary's like, wait. If they're offering $5,000, they want to get that. They, they, got, they got fucking money. Let's see how much we can get out of them. You know, and he starts researching the company and doing all this stuff. And he's like, don't you sell that fucking patent, Dad. He's like, I already, se- I already sold it. He's like, you dumb bitch. And then he's selling it. And he's like, don't sell it because if you uh, have the patent, then when they want to do a science with your stuff, you can, if they don't pay you, you can send them a, a cease and desist. That's why this beer is called Reese and Desist. <laughs> uh, it's Reese and Desist, and it's a stout from Central Waters. I just really wanted to drink it, so I had to justify it. Uh, it is a, uh, what the fuck is this? Bourbon barrel aged imperial stout with cocoa nibs, lactose, vanilla, and peanut flour. How strong is this fucking thing? I don't know. All right, we'll see you on the other side. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. It's really good. It's like an alcoholic peanut butter cup. Ooh, I want that. Yeah. Good thing it's a bottle so I can fit it inside me. Cans hurt. <laughs> That's why we call you bottle guy. Oh, no. <laughs> That's how we met. I wonder how, I wonder how strong this thing is. Because I can't see it on the label because my eyes don't work anymore because I'm old. Here we are. It is 47% alcohol. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, 11.3. Yeah, it's really good. It's goddamn good. This is our first one from Central Waters. Uh, they're new. 
to us. Amherst, Wisconsin. Oh, from the Midwest. There you go. They must be right next to St. Jude. They could be. We don't know that they're not. It's surprisingly light for like an 11.3% alcohol stout. Um, but it fucks. Fucks me right in the mouth in a good way. So Gary's spiraling and things are going to shit. And then he admits he's depressed. And then it jumps to another character. And then it jumps to <laughs> Enid and Alfred on their cruise. So Alfred is, is you know, uh, there's a mention in the, like, the first chapter when they're just like getting to New York. And, and it's something like, oh, and he sometimes hallucinates. Uh, it turns out it's more because than sometimes. His, so his, 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 his dementia, right. well, they think it might be, oh, it's just his medication. They're fooling themselves and thinking, oh, it's just his medication. Maybe he just needs to change it. No, he just, um, he's just uh, coming down with dementia. He just, um, he's not that old. Anyway, so they're on this cruise and Enid is having a great time talking to people and, you know, uh, and then she they're tries all, these. They're all Scandinavians. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's like it's Nordic, a Norwegian cruise line. But it's not. And there is a cruise line called Norwegian, but it's like Nordic pleasure lines or something like that, which I think is Swedish erotica. Um, no, it's a phone sex line. But this is another one of those parts where you're like, these names must mean something. Or are they just ha ha, I'm so smart jokes when they're like, they're heading down to the Soren Kierkegaard dining hall. <laughs> Like, they would never call it that. <laughs> These are philosophy people, right? Yeah, he's the he's the leap of faith guy and fear and trembling. Like, why? I mean, maybe you could you know write a you know a paper on how that name means something for that scene. But it's also I thought just, it was just kind of like the the joke was just like it's so like pretentious. It's, it's, uh, I I also I mean this is like, again like a. Uh, postmodern literature and not to be confused with like postmodern Jordan Peterson nonsense, but like postmodern yeah. writers like Thomas Pynchon, who they know that they're like the, the writing is it's, aware of it's self-aware, the, you know, that they're layered jokes there. Right. It could be funny that it says like, look at this, the Nordic line. They really committed to the bit in that everything <laughs> is named after a famous Scandinavian. You know, they go to like the the Edvard Grieg dining, you know, um, concert hall and the Kierkegaard dining room and the Strindberg auditorium. <laughs> like everything is named after a famous, you know, and the Ikea lounge or whatever. <laughs> but it could also be that those names mean something or it could be that those names seem like they should mean something. But they're just, it's just a dumb joke. And isn't that funny that we get that it could have been a joke or it could have been deep? Aren't we clever? And I'm not criticizing Franzen for that. You know, he's a pretentious prick, but that is uh, that's part of the style. You know, like I thought it was also maybe maybe kind of cruises, but I've never been on a cruise, so I don't know. No, I've been on many cruises, and they use and the ones I have been on have like really dumb names for things. Like they use simp because it's usually the older butthole people. room. I mean, that is what most rooms of the cruise end up being because you just have <laughs> fucking diarrhea. <laughs> but they are mostly just Alfred named. experiences that. <laughs> They're mostly just named. Like the only pretentiously named room like that on a cruise I've ever been on was on a, a cruise where the cognac and cigar room, because you can't really smoke on a cruise ship except in very designated areas. So the only bar you could smoke in was the cigar and cognac bar, which was the Winston Churchill Lounge. 
because apparently he liked cigars and cognac. That makes sense. And I went in there and I smoked a cigar until I vomited. Um, but So like after 10 seconds? It was really bad. I was like there and I was like, this is fine. And I was talking to some fucking older dude. And then all of a sudden I inhaled the wrong one. I was like, I have to go. And then I fucking vomited <laughs> I'm everywhere. suddenly very seasick. Terrible. Uh, but usually they're just named things like like random fancy sounding words. But they're not. You know, it'll be like the... Allegro dining room, like oh, that's a, that's Italian, like just like, or you know, they seem fancy, but they're it's 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 pretty pretty shallow. So it could be a joke about that too, but they're never because I've never they're been on you a know like where they're dumpy, named philosophers. Like there's dumpy Midwesterners going on this you know incredible cruise and all these, talking to all these high minded people, and then the fucking Kierkegaard dining room was like. I get it. It's a joke. But all, but all the Scandinavian, there's one, I forget if it was the Norwegian or the Swedes, Swedes who were both shit talking each other. Both were, yeah. But like, the one is like talking about how well read he is. Yeah. It's like every year oh, I yeah. read one work by every Nobel literary literature prize winner. It gets harder every year. Yeah. It's like, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the it's second time reading through the complete works of so-and-so. In English, and he's like, no, it's the third time, actually. <laughs> like, just <laughs> incredibly pretentious people. And then the other guy's like, these fucking Swedes, can you believe them? <laughs> and their meatballs aren't even that good, or whatever he was saying. Which, you know, is how it is on a cruise. You get paired, if you don't have a big enough group of your own, you get paired with those random people at dinner. And it could be really, those could be some really terrible conversations. So on this cruise, uh, Enid is having a great time, but Alfred is losing his mind and his <laughs> bowels like he because he is just getting a lot worse he cannot control his his bladder oh. uh his his sphincter dude he is shitting or, or, or either one you can't control his either one. or his and back butt he he wait he wakes up in the middle of the night and he hallucinates talking to a turd like literally a, a racist turd <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, he is also himself quite a he, racist. He's a racist. So oh, yeah, maybe of course, the, yes. The turd is of his own mind. So early, early in the book, very early, very first scene, Chip remembers bringing home one of his like you know college professor girlfriends, and she got him. And she was a Marxist, and she got Alfred to get really mad and go on a rant about let's just say really racist things. And then afterwards she dumps was it him about and black says, people. I forgot. What yeah, it was. was. Yeah. It was right. definitely about black people. And yeah, you know, won't even repeat all of those things, but you could probably guess what some of them were. Uh, and she says, just as she dumps him, you know, you're a lot more like him than you think. Yeah. So and later <laughs> at the end of the book, when Chip doesn't shit himself, it was like, that's where that line comes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, he hallucinates talking to a turd and then like crawls into the bathroom to try and like put on another adult diaper, but he like can't do it because he's also losing motor control, fine motor control. So he can't do that either. And then he's, and then he's uh, like, Eden Hid, help me. He's like, help me. But she's like passed out. She's passed out because she is tripping balls on Aslan. On, on this new drug that they in, that you know was invented for this but book, it's before, so the drug is important, I think. But can this this passage has one of my favorite lines I've ever read in a book, and it's it's not specifically about the talking racist turd, <laughs> which is what we call 
It's what is Jimmy it book, calls too, Republicans, huh? Too highbrow <laughs> for uh, Oprah's book club. But it says, here he was, an American executive, sitting in diapers on the floor of a floating bathroom under siege by a squadron of feces. That's <laughs> 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 no, like, what an obnoxious sentence, but... Squ- under siege by a squadron of feces. <laughs> like, you really work the thesaurus there to say he shit on the floor. <laughs> he, really, he put in the man hours. You got to give him credit for it. But then Enid is unconscious because she's, she's taking this new drug that it can only be bought overseas or given out in free samples by like the fake cruise ship doctor. And it's named Aslan. It's not legal in America lion From yet. Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. And I got confused. I thought for a while, because the patent that they're trying to, the Axon company or whatever is trying to purchase from Alfred has to do with a Parkinson's medication. And I thought... It has to do with... No, it's not about the medication. It's... It's like the delivery vehicle for it or something like that. Yeah. When they kind of explain how their technology is going to work, it's one of those things that like sounds interesting until you think about it for like four seconds, I I think. Unless I don't know science good, but it's like he his patent was for a way for like iron molecules to rearrange themselves, like when you put them against other stuff. So they like so their idea is you inject these things, these molecules of iron or iron met- metallic ones, into people, and then they will then recreate the synapses in your brain that are breaking down to things. And then they use that way. They don't have to like give you. Um, they can they can then use magnets or some shit to stimulate the synapses in your brain. Though it could also just end up tearing all of the yeah it's like- metal stuff out of your skull and your head would explode. But you know sci-fi. Um, so they want that because of the way he can. They can use his molecule rearrangement shit. It's kind of like that. But Gary is correct that they are underselling the dad. By offering him five. Oh grand. yeah, of course, of course they are. It makes, it makes perfect sense. They actually are, but I think also it's one of those you know tech bro things. Like it's Theranos. You know this is going to change everything, and then it's like, oh it doesn't. Act, in the end, it doesn't fucking work. But also, it's about Gary's character. Like really. Gary's whole thing is oh, superficial yeah. and well. He's a greedy narcissist stick bag, and the dad is too stubborn and like principled to try to profit. And yeah, and he and he is. He is also, in his own way, a shitty dickhead. Until the very end when you learn a little bit. Everybody has... Everybody in the book is shitty. And then you learn something about them and it's like, oh, I kind of understand why you are the way you are. And it kind of like... It doesn't redeem them, but you kind of get it. Except Gary, I think. He's just shitty the whole time. Gary didn't... I mean, well, what was Chip's thing? That that the mom made him eat his vegetables growing up? Like, what was the thing that made him fuck up? He was kind of... Not abused, but he was, you know, a little bit put upon as a child but the you know, dad was be... always standing up for him you know and whenever the, the the flashback scenes yeah kind of it was it was odd i don't know denise was, is the, we haven't even gone to yet she has like some denise story. has they yeah. all have they all have issues okay so, so maybe wait, the whole before before we talk about the book denise. is to develop empathy yeah <laughs> we, we, yeah, we gotta finish we, the, we to... have to finish the shit scene but yeah, yeah the poop. so, so there's poop. the shit scene and he's like Enid takes this new like drug, which is basically like uh, you know antidepressant, and she it's feels Molly. great. <laughs> it's fucking because isn't it the same drug? Because because um yeah, it's it's the same drug that Chip takes. Yeah, it's in it's the something. Beginning. It's it's like the guy yeah. is like, oh, these new drugs are not it's legal like in Mexican America yet. A. Yeah, it's it's some it's a club drug 
for kids. It's fucking, basically it's fucking Molly or something like that. And it just makes you feel real good. It's like, well, you know, they use like all these pharma, pharmacological terms like, oh, you know, it, you know, just re- removes your anxiety and, you know, doesn't make you feel bad about things. You never have any regret. It's like, oh, it's because you're just fucking tripping hot. You're high. You're just fucking because <laughs> you tripping slept. balls on pills. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you just did, if you just did a little bit of MDMA every day, you'd probably feel pretty good. I'm into macro dosing. People do it. It's a thing now. Oh, yeah. They're using it for, uh, dep- they use it for depression therapy. They do that like shrooms, too. Shrooms and MDMA, yeah. Of course, just taking them from a boat doctor is probably ketamine. not the best way. Ketamine, too, yeah. You gotta be ketamine. Not just for horses anymore, baby. So while they're on the, while they're on the <laughs> cruise, um, it is like having a great time, but then Alfred loses his mind and somehow like falls off the ship. He, like, he falls overboard and... Somehow, you I mean you would think like falling multiple stories into the water in the middle of the ocean would be like, you know, would be instant the end. death. But somehow, Alfred says, "This is no time to pie." <laughs> <laughs> Fruited sour by KCBC <laughs> is my beer, which I've actually already finished. But oh, okay, um, this is actually another one of their James Bond beers, but. Uh, yeah, I wanted to drink it, and this was the part I had just read when I went to the beer store. So I was like, aha, I got it. No time to buy. And this is a fruit and sour with uh, raspberry, lemon, and vanilla. How and was it? It 5.5%. It was, it was very nice. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Definitely raspberry. It was good. You see, haters, we do finish all the beers. You dumb bitch. <laughs> Should issue some corrections, you motherfucker. <laughs> we did get accused one time of not finishing the beers. We've also been accused of not reading the books. It's only true for Nate. He listened. <laughs> <laughs> and that one Mike actually did not finish. <laughs> I'm sure there have been multiple at this point that I'm like, I don't care. There's been a few you bullet train bullet train. Nope. Don't regret it. Yeah, that, I ended up was... finishing that over like weeks. I'd read a little bit here and there, and then I, I know how it ends, and I hate it, but I can't. <laughs> I can't say I read it on Goodreads because I shit on Nate for that so much. I can't. I have integrity, and so I'd be like, "Oh God, it's about fucking Pokemon it stickers it? or whatever." The, the Thomas the Tank Engine stickers. Teach oh, you to it's have dumb. Oh, so then then it jumps to Denise. Oh, oh yeah, I have beer for that. Uh, but let's talk about it for a little bit. So the talk jumps to her. But first, it jumps to talking about this guy in Philadelphia. Who, oh, right. He was like yeah. a social studies teacher, and he's like a super commie. And it came from a family of Teamsters, and he's like, no, they're not lefty enough for me. He was the me. adopted son of a family of Teamsters. No, the teacher guy was, and he adopted a kid. And that kid oh, yeah, 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 was yeah. a fucking dick from birth. He was a sociopath, actually. Like a, yeah, something like, was wrong with him. And he, and he and then, beat the mayor with a bat, or he beat, beat, he beat a company guy. The mayor did a thing where they were going to get, you know, um, investment in the computers. city. Computers. And then, of course, whenever this happens, there's a certain class of people who are like, they're just doing that for tax purposes or whatever. Or they're not giving the really good computers away. It's like, yeah, they're a fucking for profit company. <laughs> and so. The, he goes after, you know, he's been in and out of jail, he's burnt every bridge in the family. And Sometimes, goes, literally. Oh, yeah. 
he got his teamster uncle refuses to speak to him and won't exactly say what he did, but he desecrated his shrine to Elvis. And then he, he, Billy, his character that doesn't matter, but it's just like a long thing and it is engaging to read, takes a two by four that he's written Welcome to Philly on and beats the fuck out of the company, dude. Like, debilitates him permanently. The guy is like yeah. fucked up for life. And then Billy goes to jail and he pretends that he's like, it was a political act. And then the dad is like, yes, I support his, this fucking, my Violence is sometimes son. necessary for acts, but he's like, not that one. And then the, then he gets into the details. He's like, wow, that was really fucking brutal and terrible. And it wasn't a political act. It's just like, you're a monster. And what does this have to do with the book? Very little. Ex- Very little. Except the guy who got beaten, his, his sister is Robin. Is that where it comes Yes. Right? Or is no, no, no. The mother. The mother's Robin. The mother. Isn't the wife. The wife of the. The wife of the socialist teamster. And then she leaves him. No, because Robin is the wife of the rich guy that they end up in the weird almost trouble. Oh, yeah, Robin uh, is the sister of the guy. Yeah, he's the that si- killed the she's people. She's the sister. Oh, she's yeah, right, 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 right. She's the sister of the sociopathic commie. Oh, right. The actual because he was the adopted brother. She's the, the the kid. Okay, yeah. And all that is just just why I don't know. But she then it was a lot of details. It was like Steve, if Stephen King had been given a lot of cocaine to, and they were like, go write a backstory. And he's like, I got 800 characters. Like, no, no, no. One character, Stephen. Put it all in that one character. He's like, oh, oh God, it, all right. It was very Stephen King-esque about how this random side character got so much story. But ultimately, she, I agree. she marries a dude who's a tech, a tech guy, and he invents basically Pandora. <laughs> he just invents... <laughs> Right? He invents. He invents a way. He invents a thing that it listens to a song that you like, and through science and algorithms, it then recommends you songs that you would then also like. So you buy them. That's Pandora. So that's, that's Pandora, yeah, that's Pandora. And then also adopted, I'm sure, by Spotify. Well, Spotify. Like if you go to like go to you know whatever song People radio, it'll give you like 50 songs that are like yeah. very very similar. Their their thing might be based more on listens and you know kind of like that consumer. Excuse me, might be based on listens and that consumer thing where it's like, oh, people who bought this also bought this. But Pandora's yeah, whole thing was, beer. oh, you like this song? This song has a tempo of a hundred beats per minute and is in a major key and has a male singer and has uplifting vocals and blah, 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 blah. And then here are all songs that have that, those same qualities. And that's exactly what this guy did. That he, was my first job out of grad school. It was, uh, really? but it was, it was for a music library, you know, where people make like, they just churn out shitty production music for like, um, if you want to like buy music for your commercial, not pay someone to actually write it specifically for it. So it's like, you know, they're all they're good, mm-hmm. you know. They're just generic, and so I had to go listen to them and write twenty adjectives for each one. So people saying like, "I need something uplifting or 20. something sad or some twenty well twenty keywords." So adjectives, Keyword, okay. instruments, styles, genres, like a bunch of them, at least twenty. So you know, gonna but, work the thesaurus for that. Yeah, yeah, I did that for. A long, I listened to an entire album of music made with only balloons. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the sounds of rubbing balloons and like clicking balloons. And then after I did that, they're like, oh, actually, we didn't need all that one. I was like, well, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, it turns out no one's ever going to buy it's that. It's called Balloon Music by a guy named Chuck Jonky. 
<laughs> and you can find it on YouTube. And I listened to 40 minutes of it. And I had to keep writing adjectives to describe the balloon music. Squeaky? Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Jonky would go, and also he would record music like out in other countries. Like he just recorded like three albums of gamelan music from Indonesia. Oh, dude, it's and, on Spotify. Yeah. Balloon music. <laughs> oh, my God. It's one hour long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that. Chuck Jonky. I, I didn't put it on Spotify. I put it on. You know, uh, it was like it was stereo. But I don't think it exists anymore. But I had to listen to it and I had to describe it. Chuck Jonky's balloon tune. Is you know what? I'd be willing to bet Spotify purchased whatever data that is, and so your adjectives are probably the, all the same ones that Spotify is using. Maybe, maybe that or some other poor schmuck had to go and listen to it as well. That makes two people listen to, people music music listen to like, Chuck Jonky. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, Chuck Junkie uh, has twelve hundred and ninety-five monthly listeners. That is that's a lot. That's more than us, bro. <laughs> no, look at this. No, we're big. better than that. Thank God, we're better than Chuck Junkie. He's the twenty-first uh, most popular playlist for people who are listening to this. Anyway, this guy is rich as fuck now because he invented uh, music recommending algorithms, and. And that's how Denise comes into the story finally. And you're like, who are all these people? That was a long way to get there. But it was fine. And then basically, he, she comes in because she is a chef. And we have found out earlier in the book that she married a guy who was older and, and they divorced. And Enid's like, oh, so embarrassed about this, you know, because that's not the way it's supposed to go. But Denise is a chef and she's apparently very good and, you know, in demand. And the dude, who I already fucking forget his name, the rich guy, Brian. Emil. No, Emil was the the husband. She that day. Like, oh, okay. yeah. The the rich guy was Brian. And so Brian goes like, "I'm bored and I'm rich," and he wants to leave Philly, but his wife doesn't want to. So he's like, "All right, I'm just going to gentrify because Philly by myself." She's ashamed that they're rich. She doesn't like being rich. So he's. I'm she, gonna, wants to, she wants to be Philly trash. But he's like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna gentrify it myself. I'm gonna open a chic high end restaurant." And so he goes to every restaurant and tries every restaurant he can he's like yep that's my favorite one i want to i'm gonna poach that chef cooking pun intended and, and they'll poach my egg and so uh he's he she's he's i will double your pay and i will pay for you to go to europe to money is literally meaningless to me yep and it wasn't that much money which tells you how much things have changed since 2001 <laughs> It's you also got, Philadelphia. You could do it for uh, just a, like a season tickets to the fucking, what's the football team? The Eagles. Eagles. You, go to, you go to a fucking Eagles game, as they say, the Eagles, and uh, you have some chocolate, and then you are, uh, you, that's all. So you don't need any money there. That's it. Well, he, he offers to double her page. He's like, two whole cheesesteaks? And then he, he's like, we're going to build a restaurant. And she's like, that's a fucking terrible idea. Restaurants don't make money, and it's stupid. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I have fuck you money. And she's like, all right, whatever, man. And so they can open a restaurant. And she's at first not sure what to make, but you'd think probably for a second there. Yeah, it's like a little can. Oh, my God, look at that. She's like, maybe we should make some peach crumble treat. <laughs> he's like, that sounds delicious. Sure. This is called Peach Crumble Treat from Prairie Artisan Ales. And it's a 5%. Oh, I already ignored the can. It says gently agitate before opening. No. Gently agitate. Did you talk shit to it? I was just like, <laughs> you know, your brother is doing really well. I don't know. Why don't you be more like him? 
I just saw uh, her, but she couldn't answer my questions, if you know what I mean. What? Because <laughs> her mouth was full. Oh, right. Oh, my, my mother. Right. Yeah. Is, yeah. She didn't agitate it. Like, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that stain will come out, right? Uh, so this is sour <laughs> ale with peach, cinnamon, vanilla, and pecans. 5.3% alcohol. And um, I'm nervous. It smells pretty tart. I was really hoping this would be a sweet, oh my God. Like I sniffed it and it's like I just inhaled like horseradish or something. Like I feel like my whole inside of my head expanded to get away from the smell. Yeah, like a sinus. I'd be, I'd be like, surprised if there was any horseradish in this peach. No, crumble. but I, you know, like when you sniff something like that, your whole like head clears out. <laughs> oh, oh. <yeah. laughs> I sniffed this and I could feel the tingle go through my skull. Like a nice and spicy mustard. Oh, man, it's pretty tart. It's not that bad. It's not, like, super funk. I prefer it a little sweeter because, it's, well, it's like life, you know? It's a little bitter. <laughs> like most Gen Xers. Yeah. Pretty good, though. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, okay. All right. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> good Lord. If I weren't hot as balls here and I was sweating, I would, I would not drink it as much, but I'm going to have to drink it and then get hung over from it. Nobody wins. I discovered recently, last week, do you know what Liquid IV is? Have you heard of this brand or the similar kind of these? Is that like canned water or some shit? It's like the hydrating mix you pour into water. Oh. One of oh, like a little powder thing? Yeah, yeah. It's like so Gatorade I, powder? Sort of, yeah, something like that. So I took one, which was recommended to me by a guy who was recommended to him by a doctor, who's also <laughs> his friend That's from high school. That's how that school. works. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, my brother-in-law was He's like, "This, doctor, this shit's whatever. great." And his his buddy, who's in like just finished his residency, was like, "I've I've I've party I've hung out with that dude. Like that guy, I'm sure he's gonna be a very good doctor, but he also is a heavy drinker." He's like, "Just drink this shit, and you won't get hung over." And I was like, "All right, I will try." And then I drank it. It fucking was a miracle. Holy crap! It's a life changer. But then I had I was like, "This is a line I don't want to cross <laughs> as a drinker." I'm like, I don't mind paying my due the next day. I'm like, I feel shitty. I drank too much. I should not drink for a few minutes. But to now start taking like performance enhancing alcoholic drugs <laughs> like, to cheat so I could drink more and not have a shitty morning. That so just you feels can wrong. drink on an Olympic level? So I bought a case of the stuff, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's healthy. It's okay. But I, I, I refuse to take it during the week. That's my rule. <laughs> Do penance. Do you want to be hungover at work, but not on the weekend? <laughs> yeah, that was Doug Stanhope saying, never, never, don't be hungover on the weekends. You should be hungover on work time. <laughs> you, should feel, you don't want to feel shitty on your time. You don't drink anything on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Get hammered on Sunday night so you feel shitty on their time. <laughs> But dude, my God, that shit, it was amazing. I drink well, enough sometimes beers. Sometimes I'll of, drink a Gatorade what's it called? before going to work. Liquid, before going to liquid sleep. Liquid IV. Yeah, it was, but you drink it before bed. Liquid yeah. IV, but there's a lot of different versions of this. It's just a bunch of fucking electrolytes in a powder. Yeah, but it, it worked. You just pounded yeah. a pound, glass of water with it. I felt great the next day. It's like... This is before drinking? No, after. No, no, after. After drinking after, before, you okay. go to bed, before you go to sleep. So, you oh, know, when okay. you wake up, you're hungover because all your shit's depleted. So you just give yourself this, a fucking okay. heroic dose of salt 
<laughs> you go to sleep, and then you're okay Your blood, again. It's a ra- raise your blood pressure, you know? Whatever, yeah. man. And you pee uh, basically rock salt for a minute, <laughs> but whatever. It hurts less than a hangover. It really does. I'll tell you, I didn't wake up feeling 100% normal, but when I w- woke up feeling how I used to feel when I would drink a shit ton when I was 20, <laughs> you know? When wow. you're young and you drink and you're like, that seems like a lot. And you wake up the next day and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. <laughs> like, whereas now, I'm like, oh, no, for like the next 12 hours. If I smell an egg within a mile of me, I will puke out of my ass. But it's like by about 9 p.m. the next day, I'm like, All right, I think I'm ready to start the day. <laughs> like That's when I, yeah. I finally feel not like a piece of shit. But now I'm like, all right, cool. I just need to get like one... Like, I'm trying to think what I did when I was, like, 21. I'm like, I'm going to get a bacon, egg, and cheese, and I'll be fine. <laughs> then I'll Maybe go to class Tuesday, all day and then work work for 10 hours at my shitty grocery store gig. Tuesday was my last night at the bar. Oh, so nice. I, you know, did a few shots before I left, and then I went out afterwards with the two people that were still there, and I had another four whiskey Cokes and another shot. Oh, no. So, you know, I'm 36. I had the, I had the equivalent of seven or eight drinks. And I was like, this is going to be rough tomorrow. But you know what? I got a Snapple from the deli. I took the train home, and I got stuck on the train for half an hour at one stop. So I was almost sober by the time I got home. But all that sugar, that does fucking help. I woke up. Uh, I can't, got home when the sun was coming up, but uh, I felt pretty okay the next day. Didn't sleep very well, but I was not in any pain. So I feel like the sugary drinks are what fuck me up. I don't know. I don't know. At that point, you know, I was so full of poison, like it didn't matter. But you just need to, like, you need, like it dehydrates you. Yeah. Like, drinking all that literally dehydrates. I just have a bunch of sugar water and then a, a bunch of sugar, water, actual water when I get home because I don't have any liquid IVs. But no, well, that's all right. Next time I see you guys, I'll, I'll give you some, some liquid IVs because they come in little pouches. Because <laughs> you have a heroic amount of salt, like you're going to a Brazilian steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the point where if I'm drinking at night, and if I stop drinking, like early on, if, if I have a few drinks at like nine, at nine or ten, Damn. by twelve, if I stop drinking after the time, I will already start to feel hungover. Yeah, I was I like, well, I, this is this is a sign of the end. I'm just going to kill myself now. So if I can like fix that, that'd be really nice, dude. I'm telling you, it's great. I just I I I know how I am, and I'm like, I don't want to get into the world where I'm doing drinking this shit every night now. To support my drinking habit. <laughs> I don't need an additional drinking habit. <laughs> I'm not this addicted like to alcohol. I'm like addicted to liquid IV. <laughs> you're doing too much uh, downer, so you sniff a little Coke to keep you back up, you know? Yeah, I just want to even out my buzz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so Denise. Oh, yeah, she's a cook. She made peach treats. <laughs> and she's really hot. That sweet peach. So Denise, okay. So first you get you find out this is a very long part part of the book. You find out almost you, almost nothing about her before this in the book. But the first she goes like about how when she was a kid, and then she was in high school, and then she finished high school, and then she works for one summer in the railroad uh, for her dad for her uh, for dad's company. She doesn't work for her dad. She works in the drafting office at the railroad where they have all these wiring diagrams, and she decides to like just fuck one of the guys there because they were all into her because she was really hot and a teenager. And this is her like, you know, being a rebel and stuff. 
And then... Uh, well, her thing is to be, like, for, so her, her dad's like, you want to work hard so they know you're a good worker. And people will remember that because he's got that Midwestern, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And she's uber competitive. So whatever she does, she has to be the best at. So she's doing w- her job way better than the guys that have been there for 25 years. Uh, and does, like... And but also they're all like hitting on her, and she decides to fuck one of them one night, and that's going to be important later. And then after that, she goes off to basically because this is like high, summer after high school, something like that. And then she goes off to her real life, and then she becomes a chef, and she she really likes the competitive nature of being a chef. At the, you know high end restaurants and the pressure, she does like that. And then she eventually, like, meets up with Brian, the rich guy, and then this whole story of starting this, like, hip restaurant in Philadelphia, but also, and she, like, goes to Europe to, he sends her to Europe, he pays for her to go to Europe to, like, you know, taste the food and do all this stuff, and he goes with her. Research. And they almost fuck, but then they don't. Oh, yeah, because she was married to a chef, older man who was a chef, and then, just also, and turns out, she's into women. (laughs) She divorces him, and then she's only fucks women. Earlier in the book, Gary had mentioned something to mom, and and he's like, wait, does she think I'm involved with a married man? Does she think I'm involved with a married man? And turns out she wasn't. Why does mom think that? What yeah, did why you does it? Did you tell her? Did you tell her something like, no, she was involved with a married woman. <laughs> she was involved with Brian's wife. And she does it partly because, like, she's mad at Brian. She's, like, mad at him. But also, like, uh, uh, her whole thing, like, starting the restaurant, but also starting the affair with his wife. Uh, but then... Because he tried to bang her, and she was like, no. And he's like, well, they kind of seem... He, he's fucking around on her with other people, so, like, you know, whatever. Also because she bangs married people, because she's broken. She says at some point, I've never not been attracted to a married man. She said, like, I've always been attracted... Like, he was the the only... Man, I've been attracted only man without children. I've ever been attracted to some something, uh, and so there's this whole thing, and she starts an affair with uh, with his wife, and it's uh, pretty intense because she's also like head chef at this really you know pretty intense restaurant, but that's like slacking a little bit so she can sneak away in the middle of the day to fuck the wife and then get back, and then eventually the wife is like, I I feel so guilty, I have to stop. So she fucks, so she finally fucks Brian after one night, but also their marriage is ending. And there's a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, the wife is trying to do this like community garden project with all the local, with all the inner city kids. Which featured some of the most misleading non foreshadowing because it was like they went to Europe and she didn't go. She's like, no, I'm going to go stay home to handle all that big zucchini that's blooming. And. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's dong. And then she's a lesbian. <laughs> Whoa, that's not what I expected. Red hair. It's a very dick shaped vegetable. <laughs> that's a uh, red herring foreshadowing. And they were commies, so yeah. The red, red herrings. Um, and then. Pig, pigs. <laughs> and so when the. when So she then sleeps. So when the wife dumps her, she then sleeps with the husband. And then they find out that they've both been sleeping with her, and so they decide to... So they get a divorce, and... And, and fire gets fired. <laughs> then she's fired. And so she loses her job. 
Nobody can have nice things. Yeah. And zucchini. <laughs> and this huh? is a lot of this section about Denise. It was, it was like that, that whole thing that I just said was like, it's like, it's like 200 pages. And no, it was um, two this book hours. Is like five of novellas smushed together. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking. If you took each individual person's story and made it into a book, it would actually be a complete book, including like, I mean, like story arc and there were stuff also like that. Several parts was like, this would be a great short story. <laughs> Just this. Yeah. But he's like, no. No, oh, it's book. all or nothing, baby. O Town. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think of another O Town song right now, but uh, Liquid Dreams <laughs> is not one of their songs. <laughs> Ugh. Is a song called Liquid Dreams? I am is that about, is 98% that sure. I know Nate doesn't even know what an O-Town is. Nope. You know All or Nothing. I want it All or Nothing at all. Nothing. Dude, All or Nothing, number Nate, one on Spotify. Number two, Liquid Dreams. That song's about... Number three most played song is also All or Nothing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one is All or Nothing from their album. The other one is All or Nothing from Totally Hits 2001. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a jam. I'm not gonna lie; it's a jam. Um, so, dude, at work recently, today, recently, today, <laughs> very, very recently, in fact, can get uh, these gift cards and tell you about the Zabar's thing. Someone got one for a place called the Nut Factory. <laughs> and they were like, "What's the Nut Factory?" I'm pretty sure that's what our Kelly called his house. <laughs> it was like, but. That's People didn't like house. that joke, but I was like, no, it's, it wasn't that his album. <laughs> but the Nut Factory is a horrible name for anything. Even I saw if a they... restaurant once called the Jerk Hut. <laughs> <laughs> I pleasured myself in several places that I would call a Jerk Hut, but I would never. <laughs> you wouldn't write that over the door. Well, no, I don't have enough jizz to write the whole thing out. <laughs> Just put a J and an H if you can make it work. But I guess the jerk hut is a nut factory. <laughs> That's what you're producing. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Speaking of jerk huts, so it all comes together uh, when um, everyone has to go back to Chris, go back to St. Jude for Christmas. Chekhov's Christmas <laughs> was mentioned. And 800 pages later, <laughs> Christmas will come in the jerk hut. So, yeah. so, so okay, we, we missed the whole, we, okay, the whole part oh, yeah. where Chip is in Vilnius, which oh, I thought was, was actually like pretty entertaining, where he's describing how he's on, you know, making this website for fucking stealing people. Don't even know. Yeah, so it, which is defrauding people to invest in like the corporation of Lithuania. There's As a, a government and a part it's early on he's like, he's like, what are he says, what are Lithuania's chief exports? Do you remember what the answer to that was? It was gravel and sand. It was mainly gravel and sand. <laughs> <laughs> Chiefly sand and gravel. Yeah. And he went, huh, huge strategic reserves of sand and gravel. Okay. He's just very good so, at corporate bullshit speak. Listen, you laugh. That is basically what Lithuania is. I don't know anything about Lithuania. But so <laughs> I, I don't know anything about Lithuania at all, but actually sand and gravel are very important because, <laughs> first of all, sand and gravel is a non-renewable resource that's incredibly important for building roads. And what if you hit a lot, hit big rocks a lot and make them really small? What if I go to, to the beach with a fucking shovel that's made out of plastic 
<laughs> in a kid's bucket. I will so come with you with sand. So where do you think beach sand comes from? It the comes ocean. from sand pits. Einstein. No, it all, it it all, is, it all erodes. Natural beaches are very, very rocky. All the sand actually is imported and dumped on the beach every spring by every beach town. What? Yeah, that's Bullshit. fake fucking Fuck sand. You. That's not true for every beach. Every beach? No, okay, sure. so there was probably Have you some been to Jones Beach? There? That place is gross, dude. <laughs> Okay, the only they import there are the fucking medical waste needles that you. Don't no, that's just that, that's just uh, the gravel is actually large pieces of asbestos, and the sand is small pieces of asbestos. Yeah, I've been to Coney Island. That is not imported sand. Except Coney imported Island from now is actually it's, it's so, much nicer than it used to be. Beach sand naturally washes away and has to be replaced. Yeah, so I just I've made go, a castle. I know. Yeah. So the <laughs> I other have lost thing, a kingdom. <laughs> the <laughs> other inc- incredibly important use for gravel is actually to make glass. And glass is one of the most important like things in the modern world. Like, yeah, the, that's how you make glass dildos. And a butt plug. That's why <laughs> nobody wants an opaque butt plug. <laughs> yeah, I want to be able to see what's going on in there. <laughs> and. Sand is a non-renewable resource. Like it takes millions of years to form. So you just like no one tell the Middle East. Wait till the tide goes out. There's more <laughs> sand there, Nate. Like you're not convincing me. I know it's non-renewable, but I feel like there's enough of it. Because I feel like you know that thing when they were like, no. you know, there's more stars than there are grains of sand. And they're like, well, that's a fucking lot. <laughs> like they're never. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're gonna basically run out of stars one day. <laughs> I guess we will. Well, yeah, I mean, but well, it sometimes a star is born to sea. So we'll just then you go to the bottom of the sea. Take the fucking shitty sand. Come on. If James Cameron can sh- go to the bottom of the sea, so can we for sand. My that shirt will go not on. Cost effective, <laughs> but it's there. What, will, what if they just build? You know, in the in the future books where they have a, a, a space elevator, where they just build straight up into space, and then we could do that. Just go down. And you just have guys filling their pockets with sand. Yeah. Instead of oil instead of oil derricks out on out on, is that why do people have that is that why people are named Derek? Yeah, this is my children. Oil Derek <laughs> and Sand Chad. <laughs> <laughs> so it is it is I guess it's yeah. I guess someone's gotta you gotta buy sand from somewhere. But those are but the least sexy natural resources. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's very boring. So okay, this this whole Everyone part where the it's, sexiest one where is it's in Vilnius and What's his name? Mm. Uh, the 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 the, the Lithuanian guy. Gitanis is like trying to pretend to be a gangster, but he's not very good at it. But he's also making a ton of money from defrauding Americans out of their money. They basically made like a, they made a GoFundMe with different reward tiers for sending money to Lithuania. Yeah, Dude, like it, at, at this level of investment, you get diplomatic plates. And things are like level, you know? so sad and depressing. And but invest in into the one Baltic like cell phone carrier, the the, the uh, uh, and also the the story, which is both funny and very sad about how the his father died of cancer because they were shipped all the radioactive cinder blocks. Yeah, and they were built everything out of the radioactive cinder blocks that didn't Belarus didn't want because they were radioactive. But they didn't tell anyone in in Lithuania <laughs> they were radioactive. And he's like, and one one of his things. This is uh, is like life is just all disappointment. Like everything disappointment is is disappointing. And the reason why I liked. 
Chip was because he already fucked my wife. He already disappointed me. Like, we got that over with. <laughs> we got that out of the way before I even met him. And then he, like... It's a Lithuanian proverb, probably. Kind of goes well, but clearly there's, like, a coup in Lithuania. And the other guy's like, oh, better get out. Here's $40,000 in cash, the money I owe you in American dollars. You so, should probably leave before the army gets here. And so he does. So Chip, this is this is like two days before Christmas Eve. He's like, you know what? Because Denise has been telling him, you, you should come home for Christmas because so that mom can have one last Christmas. And Chip is like, no, I can't do that. And then there's a coup. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should, maybe I should get the fuck out of the country. So he tries to get out of the country, goes to the airport, and... Before he can get on a flight, like tanks are running down the runway. It's like, oh, nope, uh, can't do that. And then he manages to like get to Poland and then gets a flight out of Poland back to America and finally gets back to Chicago or wherever they are. Back to St. Jude. He flies to Chicago. Know, that's the and then very gets a, end of the and book. And then gets another, sh- another one to St. Jude. Yeah. yeah. That's like the very end of the book. So, first, there's this whole long section about. Christmas in St. Jude with the kids, which was, uh, so finally, so Gary shows up and he's like, you need to sell this house. You can't keep living here because dad is just completely lost his mind. And you at know, this point, they also, they want him, they want uh, the parents to move to Philadelphia because he has managed to buy a bunch of shares through basically insider trading to this pharma company and he got in because he wants to use his dad as a test subject for the new therapy because it can theoretically solve Parkinson's. So like come to Philadelphia and you can, you know, go to this thing and they'll cure you and you can sell this house because it's old and shitty. And you know, you guys are too old to stay out here anymore. The house is falling down and Gary's a domineering fuck. And Denise, who's been fired from her job, shows up and she's like trying to take care of them. And dad is completely incoherent and mom is just like nagging about everything. And also they're like, uh, can't really get, can't really get along. And Denise is trying to do everything, but can't. And everyone is like, is Chip going to be there? And all mom can think about is like, She's like looking out the window, like out the window into the, you know, into the driveway. Like, is Chip here? Is Chip here? Even though like he's stuck at the airport in in Vilnius. And like, oh, yeah, he said he'd be here during a coup. And, and then in this final scene, a lot of a lot of things get resolved. Uh, it's finally everyone <laughs> realizes finally there finally realize people realizes that changes need to be made. Also known as corrections uh where dad needs to just go and just needs to go to a home just needs to go to the hospital or like a you know care facility and then denise like cannot stay there and take care of them or or bring them to her place in philadelphia uh and finally chip arrives and he's like okay i guess i'll stay here and take care of them a bit and the father in his like dementia, but he does remember like he chip is the one he can trust. Chip is the one that he like feels knows what he's talking about and like helps him in the nursing home and actually likes. There's all this stuff about why 
the dad like quit his job it's because the guy that denise fucked when she was in high school was like you i'm gonna tell i'm gonna blackmail you so that you tell the manager to tell me to send me to arkansas during the merger and so he quit his job rather than have that get exposed Right, you find out that's why he did it because Enid was trying to get him like, dude, you know this thing is happening. Go buy shares, like some other shithead guy in town, and that guy became rich from doing it. And if you would just if you would just move to Arkansas and work one more year, you would get your full pension. But instead, he, you he quit early, like two reti- months before his pension was up. pension time was ready. Fi- finally, he's like, there has to be some changes, and then finally, like, yeah. I guess you're right. And that's what happened. And then the father gets put into a a nursing home where he like slowly loses his mind worse and worse. And he regrets, he regrets not killing himself earlier. It's like when I had the, when I could have, I could have just drowned when I jumped off the boat. I could have, I had this, I had this shotgun. See, I got the impression that he jumped off the boat, but I, I guess you're not really meant to be sure. Uh, I, I feel like he fell by accident because he was hiding behind a plant to hide the fact that on the the deck to hide the fact that he was like shitting himself and he's like trying to hide, but then somehow fell off, I guess. I don't know. And then he gets put into a home where over the course of a year, he slowly gets worse and worse and then stops eating. He just refuses food. He finally figures out how to like, kill himself, which is refused to eat. And then he refuses to eat and then finally dies. And then after he dies, Enid is like, well, it's time for some corrections in my life. Ba-ba. And then the end. This is, there are, there, the word corrections came up many, many times in the book in every context you could imagine from Chip's c- corrections to his titty-filled script that he was chasing to make the corrections that to Gary worrying about corrections to the market. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. every, it's like, oh, okay. Well done. You, you really worked it in there. And then it's over. It's also about how, the, how all the characters corrected their lives by going from unhappy and unfulfilled to finally feeling better. And to fulfilled. unhappy, but you I know, don't know. not so bad. <laughs> I got the idea that that they still, in the end, were not like well, not there, completely. There are corrections to be made that they could do that they don't do. There's always corrections to be made, or they try and they fail. Like some of them are better off in the end. Like, but I got the impression that you know, like the final thing is like Enid's like my husband's dead, and like the final sentence is like it's time to start living my life, and she's like seventy five. Well, because she talks about the whole you know any of the passages about her how. All she wanted was an emotional connection with her husband, and she was so invested in that relationship and so stuck in the yeah. value system she was raised in that she couldn't leave. And this guy was an asshole. Like when she when he went away for two weeks to examine all of the railroads and didn't say goodbye to her, and she was pregnant, and all she was like, "You didn't say goodbye," and he's like, "You didn't clean the laundry on the step, bitch," <laughs> and. And he just sat in the in the motel rooms listening to people fuck. And he's like, these goddamn weak people. <laughs> just, just fucking. You know, she she gave everything. She, she, she's not perfect. 
she she was annoying and ridiculous in many ways, but none of them are close to perfect. But she had dedicated herself to her family, and I think this is like one of those odes to the you know older generations of you know housewives. You know, she could have been she she was the smart one. She had an a mind for numbers and could have been an accountant and wanted to do that, but then she became a mom and a housewife. It's like, oh, now I can actually do me. Better late than I never. Did a, I think it did a decent job of showing both perspectives of like the parents' point of view and the kids' point of view, and both are wrong and right. Totally. Well, I mean, it's seven hundred pages, whatever this book was. It's it's got every yeah. perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gonna get. <laughs> but yeah, totally. It, it showed things aren't as simple, right? We 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 do forget that in our interactions with our parents or our family or whoever. Like, don't you get it? That they are whole people and not just an extension of our relationship with them. Or an inconvenience to me getting in my way. <laughs> so I did really like it. This is this is a book that I had like heard about and I had only pretty much heard that oh, it must be really pretentious and really difficult to understand. And I was afraid it was gonna be one of those like classic novels that is like, what the fuck is this about? And it wasn't like that at all. That's it nice was week. actually like really easy, easy enough to like follow what was going on, and but also really like poignant moments with each character and set up the conflict in a way that were like you really felt for the characters, and also like they had incredible low points, especially in the beginning, it, except for the fact that they were almost like too aggravating. Which is the only criticism I really have. It's like, oh, they're just like so annoying people. I didn't want to keep reading. But for the most part, I actually really liked it and thought it was really good. It wasn't too difficult. I was afraid it would be a pretentious, difficult book. And it wasn't. So I was like, oh, how nice. It was pretentious, but it was not difficult. Yeah. I I would say if you are a a, a current, uh, not current, consistent reader... You were you were reading, you know, you don't read a book a, a day or a week or whatever. But if you read regularly, you could probably handle this. But if this is if someone's like Oprah said, read this book, it will be difficult for for some people because you're like, what the fuck if is you happening? Only read Danielle Steele, if only because of the length is going to be because it's like a massive where is thing this to going? a lot of people. Yeah. Where is it going? It's not. I mean, it is plot driven, but it's not. You know, like a thriller is or something like that. And it goes back and forth in time, and it's not really, it's just like, all right, we're, now we're talking about this. And I go, oh, I have to recalibrate what's happening. It's not like clear chapters and sections and, you know, so some people might find that difficult. And I understand Franzen's point there a little bit, even though he's in, he was, to say what he said, ranks, uh, reeks of elitist douchery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But no, it, it's not a difficult book. It's just... Uh, did it need to be it's this just a long? Lot. Did it need to have this much? No. His point could have been made with half as much, half as many words. You know. I guess I thought like I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of like in in the Wikipedia is like oh it's all about you know social commentary of the generations and you know the, the declining industrial thing and the switch towards technology is like eh, I don't know I guess sure whatever. For me, it was a story of this fucking family. This, for me, you know what? It reminded me a lot of Middlesex. Yeah, I can This see was that. basically Middlesex if the guy did a shit ton of coke, took long breaths, and spat out run on sentences for 
pages at a time. But it's like the same like vibe of like this. It's it's a story of this fucking family, and you know, there's social commentary in there and cultural criticisms and all that shit backdropped around that. But for me, I it was, was thinking more simpler. We were the Mulvaneys. Which was oh also yeah, an Oprah yeah, book club yeah. book. Mm. Just because, because Middlesex is a little bit weirder, just because of his subject matter. It's a, just a little bit weirder. But whereas, whereas we were the Mulvaneys is definitely just about a like family, the dysfunctional family that falls apart, which is very much much more like this book. Yeah, I guess because that was just so fucking depressing. You know, this was this was a little mm-hmm. a little zanier, even though it's about sad, broken people. It's you know, it's goofy. A lot. Honestly, I, I, I love this fucking book. I expected it to be pretentious bullshit, and it was pretentious, absolutely, but I liked it a lot. I actually, like, wanted to be continuing to read it when I couldn't. Like, oh, I've got to... Sometimes when we read these fucking books, I'm like, oh, i got to finish that book. But, like, I was, like, happy to be reading it. It's like, oh, it's time to keep going. No, he's and a hell you could dip in and out of easily because, like, so much happens that you can jump in the middle of nowhere and pick it back up because maybe what happened right before that didn't matter or was unrelated. So you could it was kind of episodic if episodes lasted one paragraph, you know? No, it's one of those books as reading it, you're like, I think I get this, but I know that there's like more I, I could you could work oh, more. I'm sure there's it. a lot. You know, there there are no there's no carelessness here. But there's also a million layers of modern or postmodern writing ideas here you can enjoy art and not understand all of it like that soup i bet the soup and those soup cans are delicious andy I, <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoy soup thank you <laughs> but no i i like I'm the sorry book. your your dog looks like that pablo but uh, i'm sure he's a good dog <laughs> <laughs> he could probably fetch things really well if you throw them just to his left where both of his eyes are <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but I, I, I like the book. I really did. Um, and I realize now that I cannot give you infinite just as a punishment book because it's just this twice as long, which is a punishment in a sense, but it's not harsh enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure infinite jest is, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy infinite jest. If you like this, you will. It's, it's, you'll be like, well, this kind of went on too long, but it's, it's very, very similar, but it came out five years earlier. And another thing, you know, reading through this, you know, apparently Franzen made some sort of comment, like he was working on this, and this is like his sixth book. He had a bunch of novels that weren't as big. And he said, you know, Infinite Jest, he had like a, he had like a competitive kind of relationship, him and David Foster Wallace. That was, you know, Franzen like shit talked David Foster Wallace a little bit after he died in certain ways. Like David Foster Wallace wrote a bunch of very, you know, nerdy, famous essays that were nonfiction things about experiences and friends. Well, he made that shit up. He pretended he, you know, he, he made up that dialogue. He fabricated those exchanges. And it's like, the dude's dead. He can't deny or confirm it at this point. It's kind of a dick move. And, and Franzen is an incredibly pretentious dude in any exchange, any interview. I'm sure if I spoke to him, I would hate the man. Anytime I've heard him speak, I'm like, this guy's an asshole. The one that sticks out in my head now is from years ago listening to him being interviewed on NPR. So it already is like, oof, this is this is deep down the nerd rabbit hole of pompous Brooklynites. But 
he was going on, he like went through this phase where he wanted to adopt a child because he felt he needed to be a parent. And then I forget who it was, or it was his agent or his friend or somebody was like, dude, but why? And he's like, because I feel like I need to do that and give myself to the, you know, the kid. And like, that's a thing you do. And like, I need to give, and I was like, no, your gift is your writing. It's like, oh, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself right in the fucking your small penis, you dickhead. Yeah, that's that's pretty awful. It's something like that. I'm like the scent that is the sentiment of what it was. And as it, soon as you like started like the where he was going, that's like I figured out like, oh, it's gonna be some bullshit like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sure he's a just completely unlikable taint of a human. He, he I, But it's I, a good I, book. No, yeah, he is. I, <laughs> that's, I, he thought he, Michael Jackson fucked those kids, but you know, some of those songs are bad. Here, <laughs> he just said every night, "You are not alone." <laughs> like I want to be. <laughs> like, I want to be bad, <laughs> but this kid's not my son. So what we're doing is less bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, it's you know, he's a douche, I, and I'm perfectly able to and willing to table that. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's it's a it's a good book. Did it, again, it didn't need to be this long. He, I read another quote where he said something like, oh, it was really tempting to write some vast, sprawling, pension-esque thing. And I didn't want to do that. I was like, you did, dude. Like, what the fuck? This was way more intelligible than pension. It is, but we've only read the one book. But it is... I have to imagine they're all like that because I'm making it up. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the punishment book is we have to read Gravity's Rainbow. But it's... You know, just random shit happening, and like, what does this have to do with anything? And it's all like super deep ideas, or it means nothing. That's throughout this whole book. It's just a more palatable version of that. But that was late '90s white guy smart dude writers. That's what they did. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I just show how smart I am and clever, and how I'm detached and don't give a shit because I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer and I don't care. Now, should anybody go out and read this book? I don't think so necessarily well um, okay so i'm not sure okay uh, uh, most of the books we read are so bad and that we it's would true. never recommend to anyone like yeah but this one if someone is into literary fiction they read it and they read books i would be like eh, and they you know, not everybody and we're like i hadn't read it till now so you know what would i recommend this i Maybe I would. If someone to, was okay with an exceptionally long book, yeah, I would have no problem recommending this. Yeah. So it it was not it was it was a it was a runner up for the Pulitzer Prize in two thousand one. Does that mean that was that was was that Cavalier and Clay that beat this? I thought that was two thousand. Oh, okay, so it was the Road that beat this. That's two thousand six. Um, no, two thousand one oh, nice was Cavalier. <laughs> you don't know who you're messing with. I'm fucking rain man here. <laughs> Ask me any year. That's what you get. So it was Cavalier Clay. So uh, hold on, I'm trying. I'm... Though sometimes it's hard to no. tell. Like no, it was not this. Well, so okay, it was Cavalier and Clay, which beat out Blonde. So we've done oh. two of the three that year, and I think Cavalier and Clay deserves it over Blonde. And we didn't read the third one, which is called The Quick and the Dead by Joy Williams. So this might be the year afterwards, two thousand maybe. If it was nominated for it, 
it was nominated. It lost to Empire Falls by Richard Russo, which I've never read. I don't know anything about that. But maybe we read that one day and compare. It's probably shorter. So I, I want I you know I, I do want us I I want us to read Infinite Jest so we can in in the relatively near future so we can compare it to this to uh, test my theory if I'm crazy and imagine that these books are very very similar. No, you're not crazy. You're just a little unwell. <laughs> can I quit? I will push you around. <laughs> nah, I will. Nah, I will. Uh, but. Oh man, Rob Thomas. You know, as I've gotten older and less cool, I've I've determined that Matchbox Twenty is pretty good. <laughs> they're not bad, man. They're not bad. No, they're fucking great. That first album is all bops, as the children <laughs> never say. It's it's really good. There's so many parallels with Infinite Jest and just David Foster Wallace in general and the style. But David Foster Wallace in 1997 or 96 put out that fucking essay about going on a cruise ship. And then that's like a big part of this book, too. It's like, those can't be coincidences. Or is that the postmodern thing? Like, they're just, I'm not supposed to imagine that they're there and they're not there. These are their pen pal letters to each other. Yeah, I've read it. This is the late 90s version, late 90s white guy version of a diss track. Kind of. I I think so. I mean, I, I read... I did read a biography of David Foster Wallace at some point, and I think they had a complicated relationship, like they were frenemies of sorts. I don't. Well, if postmodern literature is aware of itself, then it's exceedingly likely that it was all very purposeful. But it could also just be like, hey, I wanted to have a setting where old people go. Old people go on cruise ships. That's doesn't have to be. I guess that's the whole point of postmodern shit: is who the fuck knows, or maybe it's not the point of it. I don't know. Nobody knows. It's stupid. I mean, David Foster Wallace was like the uber postmodernist, and he was like, "Yeah, postmodernism is dumb. I don't like it." But here we are. So, but that's the point. Well, that was, but he like struggled with that, and then he fucking killed himself. So, you know, yeah. who won the rope? But postmodernism. Yeah, he never got to be post postmodernism. No, you got him. Are we at that point yet? Are we at post postmodernism? We're at post Malone modernism. Oh shit! Yeah, post Malonism. <laughs> We're just going in circles. Everyone in the future, everyone will have face tattoos. Malone, so. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably true, honestly. For 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we will have temporary face tattoos. <laughs> so, dream. I think the book is good. I think it's, it's, a, it's a little bit, you know, oh, let me smell my own farts. Oh, shit. It's right, it's right on it. the acceptable level of let me smell, smell my own farts. Because it's still... It's still very readable. It it only occasionally dips its toes into references I don't understand or shit like that, you know? It well, uses big words occasionally, but it's not like talking like, and then they did like, you know, the, as they did in Troy in 16, in, you know, 16 BC, ha ha ha, you know, shit like that. They don't do any of that shit. It's just, it, they're, they're stories of like regular people and occasionally there's big words and there's a ghost turd. So, you know... It's the, the racist ghost turd makes the book. That's why everyone should read it. I take it all back. It's by far the most turds in any Pulitzer nominee or Oprah Book Club. I don't know, man. There's going to be Except some other poops. Oprah Book Clubs. Did she do Everybody Poops? That's yeah, a lot of turds. Everybody Poops is Everybody Poops is still number one in that in that regard. Sequel to Everybody Hurts <laughs> or the prequel. I uh, know. I, you know what? It's it's like a, 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 a vicious cycle. <laughs> Go anywhere. Yeah. 
sometimes. All right, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you like this uh, fucking six and a half hour podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub and uh, give us the monies. Because our bank accounts are low. You could offer corrections <laughs> for that. <laughs> or just leave a review wherever you're listening. Because we got some bad ones. You could offer corrections for those. It's <laughs> a theme. And you can join us on Goodreads where you can correct us. Because we fuck things up sometimes. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.